reading today from Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's welcome Ati this morning. The task of every generation is to discover in which direction the Sovereign Redeemer is moving, then move in that direction. Now, what we're going to see today is that the disciples of Jesus had one thing on their minds, Jesus had another thing on His mind. They were at cross purposes. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in order that their perception of what is said will be heard as you intend, that there's no misapplication, misunderstanding. Cleanse my tongue, that I will be your transparent instrument to say Everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very simple. I ask you to apply this word that it will be life-changing and that we might today experience what we're talking about because this is a so-called holy day on the church calendar. It isn't enough that we commemorate we would like to experience all over again what we're going to be talking about. Grant that this will be a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What we look at today is a conversation that Jesus had with the disciples. Uh, they had been with him off and on for the previous 40 days. He had been raised from the dead, but they did not know why. He died on a cross. They did not know why. And Jesus is going to try again to get something over to them that they never were interested in. And so he's talking with them. And Luke makes the point that he is eating with them. Now, why would he say that? Well, he wanted to point out that it was the same Jesus that they had known. 
And now he's been raised from the dead, and they're eating together, probably eating fish. I don't know that they had knives and forks, uh, like the Brits, you know, knife in the right hand, fork in the left. I think that's the way you do it. Americans just use forks, but you see, they didn't, they probably just broke it and ate in pieces. And try to picture this, that Jesus uh, puts a piece of fish in his mouth and swallows and then says, oh, by the way, don't leave Jerusalem. They didn't know why. And I imagine he has another bite and as he's swallowing, uh, yes, don't leave because in a few days you're going to receive the gift of my father. And this is what I've been talking to you about, he says. Well, what we know is that they had one thing on their minds, Jesus had another. And uh, so Jesus introduces a subject that they'd heard about before. But, you know, we all have a way of listening for what we want to hear and somehow shutting out what we don't want to hear. And so he says to them, uh, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they just were not the slightest bit interested in that. When Jesus had tried to introduce the Holy Spirit to them before, uh, they didn't like it because he said, I'm going to go away. A comforter, parakletos, one that comes alongside, uh, he will be with you. And all it did was fill them with grief because they didn't want Jesus to leave. Now he introduces the same subject. They're not interested. And I don't think people today are very interested in the Holy Spirit. By the way, speaking of the royal wedding, our son T.R., who, who flew over to be with us for this weekend, commented how often the Holy Spirit was mentioned, but that's because of the liturgy, the Anglican liturgy and the wedding. That's how the Holy Spirit got in yesterday, but through the liturgy. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, look at the Anglican prayer book of the liturgy. It is rich. It is solid. And, and so we heard a little bit about the Holy Spirit yesterday in the liturgy. Well, what we know is that Jesus now is going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But it turns out that the conversation was at cross purposes. You see, that's when two groups don't understand each other because they have different intentions. And although Jesus knew exactly what was on their minds, uh, they kept saying, look, we know what we want to talk about. And so they bring up this subject. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. And he knew exactly what they wanted to talk about. But what he's having to do is to shift them to think of something that they were not interested in. They wanted a particular thing answered. You know, the way to get your prayer answered is not keep pushing what you want, but find out what God wants 
Because according to 1 John 5, 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Has it crossed your mind that maybe you should be asking for what God wants? God knows what you want, but he also knows what you need. Jesus knew what they wanted, but he also knew what they needed. And so there are two contrary sets of agendas in play. In other words, two understandings of the kingdom. Jesus wanted to talk about the kingdom of God, and he had been talking about the kingdom of God for three years. But when they thought kingdom, they meant kingdom of Israel. And so they'd been waiting to get this over to them. In other words, for 40 days, they see him. He comes, he disappears. And they're scratching their heads. When are we going to find out what we want to know? At the last, now, as Jesus is eating with them and says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in just a few days, they get their question. Have you ever had a question that you wanted to put to God if only you could get it over and say, here is what is on my mind. Well, finally, they get to ask it. And so they say, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So we're talking now cross-purposes, two understandings of the kingdom. Jesus wanted to talk about the kingdom of God, what he'd been talking about for three years, they want to talk about kingdom in Israel. You could say two sets of knowledge. Jesus wanted to talk about the doctrine of salvation because they did not know why he died on the cross. They did not know why he was raised from the dead. And he knew that the Holy Spirit would make this clear. But they were interested in something that you could call eschatological. In other words, they want to talk about what they thought would happen then, which in fact would refer to last days, what God might do in the end with regard to Israel. So again, they are at cross purposes. Two perspectives regarding time. Jesus said, in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Spirit, but they wanted to talk about what was going to come, and actually, as I say, 2,000 years later, they're still going to be talking about it. There were two perspectives on focus. They wanted to talk about what would be personal vindication for them. How do we know? Well, now look. These disciples, for three years, had given up everything. They left families, they left home to be with Jesus. And they knew that one day they would be vindicated. And they lived for this moment when Jesus would show that he is the Messiah and would overthrow Rome and that the disciples would be right on the inside. And they could say to their friends, now, you see why we've been following Jesus? We told you that one day he would overthrow Israel. 
He would restore the kingdom to Israel. We're following the right one. You wait and see. But now, this wasn't happening. They weren't being vindicated. And they're getting more and more anxious because they were thinking of personal vindication. When Jesus was wanting to talk about the kingdom, what would be God-centered, and what would bring honor to his heavenly Father. And so we're talking about two kinds of waiting. They were waiting to get their questions answered. Jesus is waiting to be taken to heaven so he could send the Holy Spirit to them. So the last word of Jesus, wait. Hardest thing of all to do, wait. Are you waiting for something? And you say, what do I do now? And God says, wait. And that's the last word, wait. Well, Jesus says, wait for the gift of my Father, namely the Holy Spirit. And sadly, as I said, they were not the slightest bit interested. Now, here's what you need to know. Their question was ill-posed. What that means is, there's no way that could be answered. They assumed something to be true. Jesus hadn't taken in that assumption at all. When are you going to store the kingdom of Israel? Jesus had not come to do it in the first place. He told them, the kingdom of God is not with observation. The kingdom of God is within you. But they didn't like that. Here's the thing. They put this question, and they thought he could answer it. Now, he knew exactly what was on their minds. They got one thing right when they said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They knew that Jesus could do that. They knew he had power to do it. They got that right, but that's not what he came to do. Could it be that you are serving God for the wrong reason? You've got your agenda, and you have assumed that it's only a matter of time God will come and vindicate your agenda. And what if that is not what God had in mind the whole time? Well, you know, I have people come to me and say, uh, R.T., you're teaching on the midnight cry. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it is my view that the next thing to happen on God's calendar is not the second coming, but the greatest awakening of the church in history that will precede the second coming. And it will be a world event that will make yesterday's royal wedding look like nothing. That is the next thing. So people say, all right, but, but when does the rapture take place? They always ask that. They assume a particular teaching to be true, and I think, there's no way to answer that. Now, there are a lot of people, some over here, a lot in America, for whom this is so important. Do you know why Americans, American evangelicals, a lot of them, wanted the embassy in Israel 
to be moved to Jerusalem? You know why? They think it will hasten the second coming. <laughs> they do. And uh, President Trump knows that they all want this, and so he made it happen. You're going to find out it's not going to do a thing. It has nothing to do with eschatology, doctrine of last things, but there are those who believe this. And so when they ask me, well, in your scheme, when does the rapture take place? Well, the truth is, what they mean by rapture, the Bible doesn't teach at all. Oh, but listen, they quote this verse. And it's easy, because you've been brought up on a particular teaching, to take it for granted that this is what is taught. Or they will ask this, when will the Jews get the Temple Mount and rebuild the temple? And they ask when, when the truth is, that's not even taught. Oh, but it is, but it's not. The point is, you cannot answer a question if their assumption is not already based upon the truth. So that's what is going on here. So it was a question that is unanswerable because it assumes a perspective that was theirs, but not God's. And it was the perspective of those shouting on Palm Sunday. Do you know why they shouted on Palm Sunday and they cried out, Hosanna? And the word Hosanna means he saves. And we read that and think, they knew that Jesus was going to be the Savior. But by Savior, they meant he was going to save them from no longer being under Rome's dominion. That was what they were thinking about. That is why they were so excited. And the disciples still had that perspective. Now, why is this an important word today? Well, I can tell you. It's an important word, I think, for Kensington Temple. We need to be sure we are following God's agenda, not ours, and that we're not at cross-purposes with the Holy Spirit. Now, we all want to see the Holy Spirit come down. I know I want it more than anything in the world. And I wanted this at Westminster Chapel more than anything in the world. And I cannot tell you when all this is going to happen. I know that it will. We would like this to come soon. We would like for it to come today. I would like it to come before I finish preaching. And God could do that. The question is, why do we want it? Are we wanting it to vindicate ourselves? Do I want it to vindicate my teaching? Truth is, we need to find out what is on his heart. Now, there are two issues. What they wanted and what they needed. And do you know the difference between what you want and what you need? And you need to know it's the need that God has promised to supply. So Jesus would overrule what they wanted in order to show them what they needed. Yes, overrule. That's what he would do. He was going to have his way and overrule what they wanted. I wonder if you have lived long enough to thank God for the way he overruled in your life. You wanted something so much and God wouldn't give it to you. And you were devastated at the time. 
But you live long enough to say, thank God I didn't get what I wanted. A number of years ago, I was uh, promised by the leaders of a particular church in South Florida that I was going to be the new pastor of this large church. And uh, I told my friends, we, we were all but packing uh, to go to this church. And uh, I remember a friend of mine from Scotland, he said, remember, many a slip between the cup and the lip. And I thought, boy, I don't like the sound of that. You know what? I came very close to becoming the pastor of that church. Had I got what I wanted, I would never have gone back to university, seminary, never would have come to this country. And I look back how much I wanted that. God said, no. And we have an equivalent situation. What they wanted, Jesus knew what they wanted. But he knew what was best for them. And so he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the three things I want us to see in this passage today. The first is the surprising promise. Verse 5, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was an unexpected promise. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They didn't care about it. It was an unwanted promise. They'd heard this sort of thing before, but that is not what they wanted. It was an unappreciated promise. But later, they would come to see it was the best thing that could have happened to them. The day would come when the Holy Spirit comes down, and for the first time, they get it. They see why Jesus died. They see why he was raised from the dead. And it all became clear, but they had to make that transition. And it couldn't happen until the Holy Spirit came. You see, it was an unappreciated promise. It was an unsettling promise. They said, Lord, uh, uh, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But the wonderful thing is it was an unstoppable promise. This was set in the Father's purpose and authority. It was going to happen. And God overruled. And it did happen. It was all planned. It was going to be 50 days after Passover. That's what Pentecost is. It was a commemoration of the law. It was all set. Do you know the bottom line of the book of Job? Now, the book of Job can be not very interesting to read. It can be very boring. But it's a very, very rich book. And Job starts out being so self-righteous and obnoxious and argumentative. And then in the end, he who thought he was perfect, he said, I abhor myself. I'm in dust and ashes. And he felt so ashamed. And he thought, I have blown it. My life has come to nothing. And he felt so ashamed. 
And then God stepped in, and you know what Job said? The bottom line of the book of Job, Job chapter 42, verse 2. Job says, now I know no plan of yours can be thwarted. Let that sink in. No purpose of God can be thwarted. But it took all this for Job to come to realize this. Well, here it is. When Peter had denied the Lord, as Colin referred to yesterday morning, and Peter wept bitterly when he realized that he had followed Jesus for three years, and then at the very moment, the very moment when Peter should have stood beside Jesus and upheld him. He blew it and denied even knowing Jesus. It would seem that there would be no future for Peter now. After all these three years, he had blown it. And then lo and behold, on the day of Pentecost, who is selected to preach the sermon and explain everything? The last person you would have thought the one who was the most unworthy. And God likes to do this. And could it be that there's someone here? You have blown it. You let God down at a moment when you should have been there to uphold your faith and show that you're unashamed. And because you have blown it, you think, there's no future left for me. And it turns out that God had a plan for the whole thing. I think of Samson. Samson, he let God down big time. And they gouged out his eyes and he had no future. And it turns out that at the end of his life, Samson did more than the whole of his life. It's all because no purpose of God can be thwarted. And I want you to know, whatever is in your past, whatever you've done, you're so ashamed. And you say, now, because of what I've done, God can't use me. There's no place for me now. Do you know what makes the difference? God is bigger than your sin. His grace is greater than our sin. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross satisfies God's justice he will take you as you are. One thing needs to happen, and that is what happened to the disciples. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or dates of, that the Father has set in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is the second thing I want to show you. God's secret purpose. You see, God's secret purpose had been kept hidden until this moment. And then Jesus says, but you, you will be my witnesses. So you wanted to be involved. Uh, you thought that the best thing that could happen to you is to be right on the inside when the kingdom is restored to Israel. But I've got something bigger than that. How would it make you feel that you're going to be a part of God's secret purpose far greater than being a part of an earthly kingdom? But what God had in mind for these disciples 
was greater than anything that they could have come up with if they'd had a thousand years to plan it. That God had a purpose. That the name of Jesus would now be mentioned, not because he's restoring the kingdom to Israel, but to show that his death on the cross is the salvation of the world. His resurrection from the dead vindicates his death on the cross. And the last thing that they'd ever thought they'd want to do, they're going to be witnesses of this. And that's not all. It's going to go right around the world. It'll start out in Jerusalem. It'll go to Judea. It'll go to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, when Jesus referred to his own death, you know what he said? For this purpose, I have come into the world. He could have said it to these disciples. For this purpose, you have come into the world. You've come to this hour. I want to ask you a question. Have you come to the place that you know why you are in this world? Have you wondered why God spared you? Can you remember that moment when, what if you got caught doing that? Or what if God intervened in your life right then? And you think, oh, if it had happened then, I wouldn't be here today. I would have no future. But God overruled and brought you to this place. And you come to see there's a reason you're alive. You're a reason that you're here. God has a purpose. Do you know why you were saved? Have you found your place in God's kingdom? And have you come to terms with your own gift and calling? I'll tell you something. Here's a verse that I myself read every day. It's Romans 12, verse 3. I started doing this two years ago because I needed it. I need it every day. I read it this morning. Romans 12, 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. This is, for me, the most humbling verse in the Bible. To come to terms that God has decided how much faith you're going to have, he's decided for your place. And he has for you. And God has a purpose in your life as though there were no one else. But you need to come to terms with it. You might hope that you would have a higher profile. Like, as it's put in 1 Corinthians 12, there's the head, there are the eyes, uh, there are those parts of the body that everybody sees, and there are those in the kingdom of God, you've got a high profile, but then what about the pancreas, the kidneys, the small intestines, just as necessary to keep the body alive, and what if God says, uh, sorry, you're not going to be the eye or the ear, you're going to be the pancreas. Nobody will know about you, but you're important. Come to terms with what God has in mind for you. So God's secret purpose. All right, surprising promise. Secret purpose, but finally, spirit power. Zechariah 4, verse 6. It is not by might 
nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You know, there are two words that are sometimes translated power. There's exousia, which means authority, that kind of power. Uh, it's the word used in John 1.12, as many as received him, they were given the authority. King James Version says power, but the word means authority. And Jesus used that very word in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, when he says, uh, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set in his own authority. But then there's the other word, dunamis, from which we get the word power. The word dynamite comes from that. That's the word used when in Luke 24, 49, Jesus says, tarry until you are clothed with power. And that's the same word here, Acts 1, 8. You will receive dunamis power. Now, there are two kinds of power. There's earthly power. And there may be a natural explanation for earthly power. Political power, economic power, financial power. That's what some people want. But what Jesus is talking about here is spirit power for which there is no natural explanation. And so that's what Jesus promised. You're not going to have power in politics or economics, uh, but you will receive power. And then it's interesting. You will receive power... When, when, not when you pass a course, not when a person is going to use you and you get elevated to a better job, not when you get the job you want, not when you meet this well-connected person, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It is not what they wanted but it is what God had in mind, power to witness. Now the question is, do you believe you have this power? If so, what are you doing with it? If we were to know nothing more about the Holy Spirit but what you have in this verse, it would suggest that the proof you've got the Holy Spirit is that you will be a witness for Jesus. The question is, are you? A witness for Jesus. You will be my witnesses. And you see, we're talking now about effectual power and how far it spreads and would go to the end of the earth. Maybe that's not what you wanted to hear, but Pentecost power is not simply having a gift of a heavenly language. And I have that gift, so you understand that it's happened to me. But what this is saying, you need power that will make you talk about Jesus wherever you are. I wonder, are there people that know you that would be surprised if they found out you were a Christian? because you never say anything about Jesus? Would there be those who would be shocked to find out? I remember a friend of mine went to a, uh, a, a, a luncheon 
where he was going to hear this person stand up and give his testimony. And when the person saw who was giving the testimony, he said, oh, I know him very well. Turns out he was giving his testimony how he was saved. He said, I had no idea that he'd been saved. It'd be one thing, they'll do it in front of a lot of people. And it's so easy to think that after hearing Jesus all those years, that by now they would twig, they would understand what he's getting at. One of the big disappointments of my ministry is to find out those who like me and admire my preaching, after all the times they've heard me, still don't get the main thing. There's one thing that I've sought to preach over the years, and that's to have the honor that comes from God and not get the honor from people. And there was this one particular person who uh, was a great follower. I mean, he was right in front following me. Then he finds out that he has a disease and he knows he's going to die. And he comes in to see me and he says, uh, I'm going to leave a substantial sum of money to Westminster Chapel. And I said, well, good, that will be much appreciated. He said, on this condition, would you come up with a plaque with my name that will put it in an obvious place? And I thought, after all my preaching, he was one of my best followers. He didn't get it. He didn't get it. And you see, this is the thing Jesus is having to say to those he had talked about it, but they didn't get it. They were so bent on what they wanted to hear. And how would you feel if what God has in mind for you is altogether different than anything you planned on? You need to make the transition from the level of nature to the level of the spirit and see what God will do with you when he makes you see why Jesus died, why he was raised from the dead. And uh, what if it turns out that you're going to be a part of something that will go right around the world. You see, the disciples, they couldn't think big. Uh, reminds me, a number of years ago, a man by the name of Walter Smith who was the executive vice president of the Billy Graham Association. And uh, he said to me, he says, when we come to Britain, the hardest thing is to get a Brit to think big. That's what he said. Well, now, these disciples, they were only thinking of the kingdom restored to Israel. But what was going to happen was going to be such bigger than that the end of the day, these disciples would have to pinch themselves to believe that they were a part of a movement that was going to go all over Israel, all over the whole Middle East, and go around the world. And the next thing that God is going to do is going to be something that will go right around the world. You and I may not be in the middle of it, but are you willing to find your place? Last question. Have you received the Holy Spirit? If so, has it made you a witness so that you're unashamed to talk about Jesus? Don't accept a substitute. Don't accept a counterfeit. 
The Holy Spirit will do it. You will receive power when? Not by might. That could refer to weapons without the Spirit. Not by power. That could refer to military power without the Spirit. But spirit power, what God does, for which there is no natural uh, explanation. You see, I heard Colin say yesterday morning, the ABCs of the day is anything but Christian. That's where we are. Something needs to happen. It's not going to happen by education, by ingenuity, by changing parliament or an active parliament. It will happen by the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you will find yourself able to talk to the lost in a way you would never have thought yourself possible. Peter, cowardly, did not know Jesus, he said, that on the day of Pentecost, he's saying this same Jesus, whom you crucified, is Lord and Christ. That's the message. When the Spirit comes, the power will fall. And you won't have to work it up, and you won't be ashamed. It'll do that for which there's no natural explanation. Heavenly Father, take this word, apply this word by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.